0: Welcome to The Bridge Online. No matter where you're worshiping from, we're so glad to have you with us. This week, Pastor Doug has another amazing message for us. So grab your Bibles and let's dive in. Praise God. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And I want to read the first five verses together. They're going to put it on the screen. The last time uh, that I was here two weeks ago, we were we studied and addressed the work of redemption, right? Just as briefly as we could. We we are as quick as we could with the time amount of time we had. We we talked about the work of redemption, specifically justification, if you remember that. And so so throughout this letter to the churches of Galatia, Paul is reminding us of our spiritual and the, the spiritual and theological truths that that make up our salvation. That make up our understanding of our faith and, our, and of our salvation. And so I want to I read this because these five verses are, are really unique in the whole letter, some of my favorite in the, whole, in the whole letter in the whole epistle. Listen to what he says in the first verse: "O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified?" This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And so, again, Paul is coming to the churches and he's reminding them of the, of the foundation of their faith. The realities of what has taken place in this, in this journey with Jesus Christ. And folks, as new believers, we don't fully understand all of that. You may have sat here a couple of weeks ago and thought all of these theological words and he speaks so fast and I don't, I don't understand election and predestination and justification. I don't get it all. Most of us don't. I, 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 the likelihood is you didn't come to Christ after doing a theological in-depth study and then you decided, I'm going to choose Jesus over, let's say Buddha or Muhammad. you know The likelihood is there was a moving of God in your heart. You didn't even fully understand it. That's, that's, that's how the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. And and so as new believers, we don't we don't fully understand it, but we know there's something in our heart. There's something drawing us to God. It, it's just an inner sense of knowing there's a God that I'm accountable to. I, I I know he has sent his son. And and I'm I read and I understand that he came, his son came, he died for my sins. And if I call upon his name, I will be saved. I will have eternal salvation. And and that's kind of how it starts. And we end up, we go to church because we know that's what we're supposed to do. We, we begin to study our Bibles. We pray. We we learn new duties, spiritual duties. It's it's a new life, really, is is what it is, isn't it? It's it's a new life in Christ, and that's what it should be. All of those things are absolutely um, appropriate. As we do these things, they end up becoming routine, and there's nothing wrong with routine. I, I think Bible reading and prayer, coming to church, those should be routine. But here's the real danger: the tragedy of all of that is that routine can be very dangerous because when we become familiar with something we can actually start to get bored with it over time now don't you think about that it's true if if we're not careful we can become bored with prayer we can become bored with coming to church we can become bored with our bibles it is the dilemma of our fallen sin nature and in, in fact it doesn't just happen in spiritual matters it happens in all aspects of life it happens in marriages it happens in careers. It happens with hobbies. It's wonderful and exciting at the beginning, you know. Everything's so fresh and new, and, 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 and there's a brand new door that's open to us. But then, but then something happens over time something else catches our eye, so, something else grabs our attention. You know, that's who we are as a people. It is in every single one of us, it, it is part of the fallen nature. And and that is why today, folks, you're watching the most educated, wealthy society in human history come up with all kinds of evil ideas about sexuality, marriage, relationships, work ethic, governance, and the list goes on and on and on. Because as a society, we have become bored with the societal norms that were rooted and grounded in Judeo-Christian values. The very things that have set the stage for you and I to be so educated and so wealthy and so free have now become become boring to us. They're they're traditional, we call them. They're they're, they're, uh, archaic as it is. That's the old way of thinking. And, And you know that one of the great buzzwords of our day is progressivism. We've progressed. And really, in essence, what our society is saying is, God, we've progressed beyond your ways. We've we've progressed beyond your knowledge. Your ways are old, God. Your ways are, they're they're beyond us now. We're much smarter than that. We we can create our own utopian society. We, We can come together and collectively create our own image and our own standards of morality, what is right and what is wrong. Because we have become bored with the very things that got us to the place that we are. Unfortunately for many Christians, they never learn how to be led by the Holy Spirit into deeper revelation of Christ and his love. We, we too often settle for a very surface revelation of Christ. And I personally believe that is what's happening in the Galatian church. I believe that is what takes place. That is what opens the door for evil men to come in and begin to try to dissuade people to put their trust in Christ alone. Paul says it very clearly. Someone or something has bewitched you. Something has caused your attention to be taken off of Christ and placed onto something else. Like an evil sorcerer diverting their victim's eyes away from that which is good onto something which will ultimately bring death. In this particular case, it was the Judaizers. It was the legalist. It, were those, it was those individuals that we've been talking about coming and seducing the people away from Christ and bringing them back into the law. For us today, it's there's all kinds of potential risks that could fill this role. I, you know, when I read these first five verses, in some way, I see the peril of the church of Jesus Christ in America. I, I really do. I, I think the church in America, that many churches today have a history. They, they have some history. They can go back, oh, I remember in 1970, boy, the... The, the, the altars were full. the The house was packed. Our Sunday schools were thriving. We had boy, the God was just so good then. And and somehow something happens, and now the church is dead. It's empty. There's no one around. And 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 they come together. Leadership comes together, and they point fingers at everyone else. And the truth is, God did not leave. God doesn't leave. God made it very clear. I'll, I'll not leave or forsake you. But. But what begins to happen, in my opinion, and folks, this is a very simple explanation, but I believe it's true. It, we be, just become bored with it. Christ is just not good enough anymore. It, it, it's, it's why you see men on television today speaking all sorts of blasphemy and vile doctrines of devils. Because, because see, if you're on television and you're playing millions and millions of dollars for that particular slot, you've got to speak something that's intriguing. I mean, after all, who's interested in just hearing about Jesus? That there's got to be something beyond this, you know? I've I've heard that already. And it's a grave danger, folks. It is a true danger, and that is exactly, that's what Paul's saying. He says, who bewitched you? Things were going so great. Great. You were in love with Christ. You were coming together, rallied around one sermon, one message, Christ and him crucified. You were praying together. You were worshiping together. You were, you were benevolent with one another. You had unity. And the only thing you knew was Christ and him crucified. The presence of God was in your midst and that was enough to satisfy you. Who bewitched you? Don't you feel like today... That that sermon could be preached to churches all across America. What would happen? Could go into the homes of professing Christians. And say, what happened? What intrigued you? It was, was it youth sports. Was it? Was it? Was it the football game? Is that what it was? What was it? It was boating. It was camping. It was hobbies. It was. It was some inner desire that now. No, I, I, yes, I've got Christ, but boy, look over here. There's, there's something, oh boy, it's just itching. I just, oh, I got to try this. And the next thing you know, church isn't that important anymore. Christ isn't that exciting the way he once was in your life. He says, who did it? What, what's happened? Paul makes it clear. He says, Christ was so clear to you. His love, his mercy, his goodness, all of it was revealed in his willingness to be crucified for you. And it wasn't just a sermon. It wasn't wasn't just an idea. It was real to you. The the thought of Christ dying on a cross and shedding his blood was real to you. What happened? That's what Paul's saying to the churches at Galatia. Again, I love these five verses because... Even though throughout Galatians, Paul lays out really, obviously lays out great theology. We talked theology a couple of weeks ago, but I love the balance that these five verses bring because in these five verses, Paul is not talking about theology. Paul is actually talking about experience. I want you to understand that for a minute. Paul is talking about their experience. In fact, in the fourth verse, he's, when it says, have you suffered so many things in vain, the word suffered translated is actually translated to experienced. So, so he's saying to the church, have you experienced all of this in vain? What was he? He was talking about the fellowship of believers. He was, he was talking about the satisfying of the soul of, of, of worshiping God together, of of Fellowshipping with like-minded believers, of praying for one another, of giving for the furtherance of the gospel, all of the tenets of the faith. He's like, you experienced the presence of God in your midst when you were doing these things. Was it all in vain? He, he was talking about experience. And folks, an experience with God is important as well. Theology is important, but so too is an experience. It's legit. Your experience with God is meaningful. It's, it's legit. Now, I understand that experiences can be subjective, and they are, which means your experience may be a little different, and, and, and we all have different experiences. I, I understand that, and that's why we have theology. But do you see a balance here? You need theology and experience if you have too much theology it's just you're in a classroom and that's all it is it's just classroom work it's classroom talk it's theory but when you merge when you merge the knowledge the theology of God with an experience a living experience with Christ now you have Christianity you have biblical Christianity and 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 I understand that your experience has to be balanced with objective truth I, I have had, Folks come to me no, numerous times opposing something that I have taught specifically in regards to the Holy Spirit. And their point to me is not a biblical debate. They were not able to come to me and say, Pastor, would you consider this verse and let's walk through this together? And because, because I think what you're teaching does not fully align with this. No, they would never do that, but they would come to me with their experience. And that's a problem. Because if your experience is contrary to the word of God, I could care less about your experience. Your experience is meaningless. <laughs> your experience means nothing. Your experience was just that. It was an experience that you had, but it was not a godly experience. Because God does not move outside of the bounds of his word. Truth stands. Experience is subjective. Truth is objective. It is it, and so, so truth and experience coming together, now we have something. Are you with me? And that's what Paul, he's, he's talking to them about theology throughout the book, throughout the letter. But now he appeals to their experience because it's, it is important. And, and and this portion of scripture, it just reminds me of what Jesus said in Ephesians or to the, Ephes, to the church at Ephesus. And you know and in Revelation chapter 2, let me read it really quick. To the church at Ephesus, Jesus says this. Write these things: He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. <clears throat> you've been tested. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and you found them liars. You've uh, per, uh, persevered and have patience and have labored for my name'sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you: you've left your first love. It sounds very similar, doesn't it? something happened with the church at Ephesus. they too were bewitched. In other words Jesus is like, look you you've, you've learned what is good you you've you've studied scripture you've, you' you've learned Christian disciplines and you know your duties as a follower of Christ you, you no longer tolerate evil in your midst, including in your own life. in other words, you're living and working to live in purity and holiness you're, you, you, you've learned to persevere and overcome but you've <laughs> the love that you once had for me is gone. There's no passion anymore for me. There's, there's no, there's no ex, experiential, ex, there's, no, there's no experience. There's no daily encounter and that feeling of my presence. There's no, your heart isn't thrilled anymore when you come together with believers. Your heart isn't thrilled when you, when you begin to sing songs together anymore. It no, longer, it no longer, you know, I don't know about you, but I remember, and it still is for me, I'm not gonna lie, but when we come together and we start singing together, we start lifting our hands together. There, there's something, I don't know if it is for you or not, but it is, it's special. There, there's, there's, there's something in that experience that I can't get anywhere else on earth. There's, there's something about, you know, going out after service and seeing all of the believers laughing and encouraging one another and praying for one another. God is in our midst. And if you miss, if you're not careful, you'll be bewitched. You'll, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be seduced and think that all you'll see is something negative. And, and that's what happens. You just, only thing you see is something negative. Like I can't believe they sung that long today. Like, what's, why is this message so long? Why, why is it so hot in there today? Boy, the parking lot was packed. What, why? And that's all you see. You just miss everything else going on around you. Why? Because you become, you become bored with the significance of the kalesia or the gathering together, the coming together. You, you become big, just simply bored with the presence of Christ. You become bored with prayer. You become bored with praise and worship. And if you're not careful, the question will be asked of you as well. Who or what bewitched you? Back to Galatians chapter three in the first part. Notice what he says. He says, this is happening even though Christ has clearly been portrayed among you as crucified. In other words, Jesus was so clearly portrayed to them. It it, it means, the phrase literally means publicly portrayed or announced on a poster. It was like you knew, they just knew Christ and Jesus was enough. I saw a post the other day that I thought was, was truly significant and it was instead of pursuing an experience or a particular revival that you're watching take place how about make Jesus the most important figure in your gatherings again because until that happens there will be no rev- true revival you understand that if Christ can't be the central focus of everything we do on a particular sunday morning then then our prayer for revival is in vain I was thinking this morning, just to use a pun or something that we're all familiar with, it's time to make Jesus great again in our midst. We've we've tried a politician. We've tried a government. We've tried denomination. We've tried politics. How about, as a people, we decide we're going to make Jesus great in our midst again and see what happens. Christ, him crucified, His blood, his power, his love, his grace, Christ, the central figure of everything we do, the central figure of what we talk about. When when someone's down, when someone's discouraged, we we somehow, in some way, lead them back to Christ through our conversation, through our engagement with one another, Christ, the center. And and for the church of Galatia, Paul is saying that's what was going on. He, He was... He was at the center of everything you're doing. He was right at the center of your church. He was, Christ was talked about. Christ was preached. Christ was sung about. He was at the center of his people. And 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 that's why he's so, notice the scripture uses like these exclamations. He's like, what happened? What do you think would be Paul's message to many churches in America today? He's like, you know, you, you you look at much of our mainstream um, music, contemporary music now. There's no mention of Christ whatsoever. We talk about ourselves. We talk about how great we are, how great we're going to be, how great things are. We 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 seem to work tirelessly to talk about everything but Christ. We have conversations with people. We talk about God. We talk about we talk about our church. We talk about our denomination. We talk about our pastors. It's like we just can't get Jesus out of our mouth, you know. We just can't, for some reason, we can't talk about Jesus. And, and he's the central figure in the whole story, folks. He, it's through Christ that everything consists, everything exists, everything continues. It's through Christ and him crucified. crucified. And, and, and Paul is astonished. He's like, Jesus was the central figure. Now, what happened? And because, in my eyes, this is my estimation, and you could debate it, I, it's not exact. I, it's, just, it's just my assumption. I think they got bored. I really do. I just think they got bored. I think they thought there was something more intriguing. There's something more interesting. I've seen it. I, I've seen it over the years. There are people in this room that—it's the reality, you know. You—it's—it's it's why often people run toward prophetic preaching and prophetic teaching because it's you know the the message of Christ and Him crucified just doesn't really do it for them. I've had people, they wouldn't say that specifically, but, but they'll just say, you know, they, they have a real draw. They want something intriguing, you know, something that tickles their ears, something that holds their attention, something, something that maybe they've never heard before. And it's very dangerous. And I think that's what happened to the Galatian church. And ultimately, because of that, they allowed something to slip in in their midst that got them off track. Do you see it? not only did they have Christ at the very center of their, of their services and their gatherings, but I love what Paul says here. He says, they also experienced the Holy Spirit. Verses 2 and 3, he says very clearly, I want to learn this from you. He said, did you receive the Spirit? It's capital S. It's, it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He says, he says are you so foolish? Have you, you begun in the Spirit? the Holy Spirit, are you now able to be made mature or perfect by the flesh? And, and so clearly the Holy Spirit is mentioned 18 times in this letter, by the way. And the only real evidence this morning of our conversion is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Romans chapter eight, verse nine, if you'll put it on the screen, the only real true evidence of conversion is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the believer. Can we put that? This is is Romans chapter eight, verse nine. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, he, that's you and I, little h, is, is not his, capital H, you see it? It's taught clearly in the entire chapter of Romans chapter 8. If the Holy Spirit is not in our midst, we're in trouble. We're lost. We can confess. We can shout. We can declare. We can sing anthems. We can do that all day long. But if the Holy Spirit is not among us, the Holy Spirit is not dwelling within us, You have to seek God. You have to ask for forgiveness. you got to pray. That song that we sung, that needs to be your anthem. Oh, God, don't pass me by. Come, Holy Spirit, forgive me, change me, cleanse me. Do a work inside of me that only you can do. Do you see it? And so the Holy Spirit is very, very important in this experience that we have. It's very clear, he says, that if the Holy Spirit is not inside of you, then you are not God, God's. Paul challenges the believers he says you started this whole Christian life off in the Holy Spirit. In other words, it started out as a supernatural encounter. It's a, it was a supernatural experience. But now, somehow, you think you're going to grow mature in natural ways? It's not possible, folks. Your, your spiritual life did not start from, from natural means. Christianity is far more a supernatural religion than it is a teaching religion. I'm going to say that again. Christianity is far more a supernatural religion than it is a teaching religion. There is an experience that has to happen. There is an experience that should be ongoing. And some of you, you're, I'm, I might as well be speaking in tongues right now because you have no idea what I'm speaking about. You have to have an experience with Christ. You have to have an an encounter with the Holy Spirit. We made it very clear what that was two weeks ago. It's when you feel the, when you start to feel it, you respond. It's that simple. It's not hard. Not making it complicated, but we still have to be very clear what is expected. And when you feel the draw, when you feel conviction of sin, you don't, you don't, you don't resist it, you, you respond to it. When you realize you're a sinner, you ask for the one who forgives to come and take care of your sin. But if that doesn't happen, the Holy Spirit is not in you. If the Holy Spirit's not in you, you're not Christ. And so we gotta talk very briefly, really quick, about this ministry of the Holy Spirit. We, we spent time talking about justification, we spent time talking about the process of redemption, but clearly Paul's bringing in the equation here the, the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit convicts the sinner. If if the Holy Spirit doesn't come and convict you, you're not going to be convicted. That's just the reality. And he reveals Christ to him. But he also, what's amazing is the Holy Spirit continues to reveal Christ to us. Even after we've received him as our Lord and Savior. Turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, I want to show you this so you don't think that I'm just making this stuff up. John chapter 16, the teaching of Jesus about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the helper is who? The Holy Spirit. The helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, the Holy Spirit, what's he going to do? He's going to convict the world of sin, Of righteousness of judgment. In other words, he's going to show us. He's going to reveal sin. He's going to show us our need of Jesus. He's going to reveal Jesus, which is righteousness. And he's going to reveal the coming of judgment. You can't fully understand those things unless the Holy Spirit starts. You just kind of know inwardly. Right? You know inwardly through the work of the Holy Spirit. Everybody see it? I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So the Holy Spirit, at, not only does he convict the sinner, not only does he convict you and I before we have a relationship with Jesus, revealing our totality of sin and our need of Christ, But even afterward, he still continues to work that ministry within us. So so that's why, as a new Christian, you don't have to know all all of the do's and don'ts of the Scripture. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so you go and you say something, as a new Christian, and you could have said it last week, and it didn't really bother you at all, but all of a sudden you say something, and it's a little bit of a lie, which was okay to you a while back. It was okay, right? A little lie is okay. But today, all of a sudden, the little lie is like, ooh, Ooh, is that heartburn? What is that? Ooh, I feel sick. What did I have for lunch? It's not sick. It wasn't heartburn. It's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, yo, whoa, hang on. You're in Christ now. You're a new creation. I'm Lord of your life here. Come on, let me show you something. You know what you're saying is not fully true. You need to fix this. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Anybody in this room ever had these encounters? I hope so. <laughs> and even as a continuing Christian, it's still coming. That still happens. It's, it's, it's still there. The Holy Spirit still will convict us because guess what? We're not perfect. Are we? We're not. We you can read all day long. You're going to study the Bible for 30 years. You're still not going to be perfect. I still don't have power over sin and myself. So the Holy Spirit comes and he's there and says, ah. You to fix that, the other day I was I was walking somewhere and I'm just walking and in a couple of weeks I Bruce Deal was having a 5k and we're a part of a pastor's group and without asking everyone he signed us all up for a 5k <laughs> whatever so now I got to try to get through 3 miles and I can only run a short portion and, and I'm dying out of breath. And I'm doing this and I'm walking. And there's a person up here, up ahead. And I feel the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, go tell them that I love them. No, I, my, I'm, I'm trying to get ready for the 5K. I got a 5K or whatever, three miles, whatever that. I, I can't, you know, I got to get ready. No, no, no. And so I do, I go all the way to the line that I was going to go to. And then I turn around and I start to go back. And then I got to stop and then go back to this person and just start to talk with them for a half hour about Jesus. Okay, why? Because I'm so well-versed in the Bible. Oh, I have such theology. My theology rose up within me on that trip and told me... No, 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 no. Nothing to do with theology. It's because that Holy Spirit of God lives inside, right? I'm not my own. You're not your own anymore. You don't belong to yourself. You've been purchased with the precious blood of Christ, and now the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And he guides you, and he leads you, and that's experience, Come on, somebody, that's experience. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says it this way. He explains this this work of the Holy Spirit. He says, eye has not seen and ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we speak, not in in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. The natural man does not receive the things of the spirit for they are foolish to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that they may instruct him? But then it says this, but we have the mind of Christ. And so what I'm saying, I'm bringing all of that because what Paul's doing to the Galatians is saying, you know that the Holy Spirit has been in your midst And you know that you have not plumbed the depths of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit yet. Why in the world are you off on something else? Today, folks, listen... No matter how long you've been serving Jesus, there's still greater revelation of Christ that you can have. There's still greater understanding of his love. There's still greater understanding of his mercy. There's still greater understanding of who Christ the Lord really is. And the Holy Spirit, if you'll allow him, will lead you deeper and deeper into revelation and understanding of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? And and, and Paul's making it very clear this is what the Holy Spirit does. And so, the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, we are born again. By the Holy Spirit, we are baptized in the spiritual body of Christ. By the Holy Spirit, we are sealed. Means we're kept. He sustains us and He keeps us. But the sad part of all of that is you and I can resist Him. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, don't turn there, they'll put it on the screen. But in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, A guy by the name of Stephen, who is the first Christian martyr, the first guy to die, preaching Christ. He's preaching Jesus. He's laying it out to the Jews. He's he's preaching this very long, clear sermon under the anointing and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And toward the end of his sermon to the people, to the Jews, he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Now, folks, this is important because he's revealing something that is within the fallen nature of man. There is within us a propensity to resist the Holy Spirit, just like me. I I, I don't want to necessarily do, I want to keep working out. I want to keep doing my 5K thing. But the Holy Spirit says, no, you can, you can set that aside for a moment, I need you to go here and tell this man I love him. Okay, but within me, there was a struggle. There's this, I don't, I, I my propensity is to resist the Holy Spirit. And, and in that case, it's not life and death, it's not, it's not like the, theologically deep necessarily, but the problem is if you get so used to resisting the Holy Spirit, guess what happens? you're you're on the verge of being bewitched. You're on the verge now of other doctrines, other ideas, other concepts of faith and ways to get to God and ways to please God. And that's why we get to, if you remember the start of this series, I said, Barna just did the research and now among evangelical Pentecostals that believe that there's more than one way to heaven. They believe that through their good works, they can get to heaven. And you wonder, how in the world could we get to that place as a people? I'm telling you. And and he says, so so the truth is, you and I have this ability. We have been given this freedom by God to resist the Holy Spirit. And, And sometimes that's just, that's what ends up happening. We just... We we don't learn. We don't, we're just some of you have been taught silly and foolish doctrines about the Holy Spirit. You're the idea of an experience with God scares you to death. Like somehow, like the Holy Spirit is some weird, wild-eyed ghost. He's gonna make you shout all over and pluck your beard out. I I don't know what you were told. I don't know who taught I'm going to be like, Paul, who told you that? Who bewitched you? Who told you that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are no longer in operation? Go to them and sit down with them until they can fully, clearly explain it. Look them in the eye and say, wait a minute. What you're speaking needs clarity. Tell me with clarity from the scripture where the gifts of the Spirit no longer operate among God's people. Tell me where God no longer speaks to his people. Show me, show me from the Bible. Show me where I don't need to be full of the Holy Spirit any longer. Show me where I don't need to speak in tongues anymore. Show me where I don't need to have the gift of prophecy. Show me. Have you done that? Those of you that are afraid oh. have you checked? Have you plumbed the scriptures? Have you dove in? Have you gotten a commentary? Have you gotten, have you gotten help? Have you gotten instruction from good resources and studied? Looked at the, looked at the pros and looked at the cons and, and dove into the scripture because deep inside your heart you long to know and desire what it is that God has for my life? Or have you just gotten bored and just thought, I'll just let whoever comes in Whoever's on TV that day, whoever I read, I'll let them just take me wherever the wind blows. Be careful, church. There's a warning very clearly from the Apostle Paul. Don't just allow someone to come in and bewitch you because you heard it. No, know today that rather than resisting the Holy Spirit, you can also yield to the Holy Spirit. And it's safe to do. He's a perfect gentleman. And you know where he's going to lead you? To Jesus. He'll always bring you back to Jesus. Jesus said it. You heard it right here in the the words of Jesus. He says, listen, when the spirit comes, he's going to guide you in all truth. He's not going to speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, from who? From me. Jesus is saying this. That's what he's going to speak. He's only going to lead you to me. He's only going to reveal me more. He's only going to give you greater understanding and revelation of who I am. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why he says it's a benefit. It's beneficial for me to depart so that he can come. If you speak in tongues at an appropriate right time, it will be for the benefit of yourself and someone else. It'll be the leading and guidance of Christ. If you have a prophetic utterance from the Holy Spirit inside of you, it will be for the benefit of you and someone else. It will be the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. When you pray in tongues on your own at home, alone, where you don't need an interpretation, you're building up your spirit man. Do you understand? It's It's not some weird, strange phenomenon. It's bringing you greater revelation of who Christ is. All of it leads you back to Jesus. And so don't resist him. Let him lead you there. The problem with resisting, as they get ready to come, and we're going to close, is is you resist, and before you realize it, you start to grieve the Holy Spirit. And and what that means is, like, you ever ever been, like, you're doing something you know is right, maybe with your children, or somebody you have maybe some authority over or whatever, and, and they're just they're just bucking you. What do you what do you what happens? You just get. Mm-hmm. You ever just? I know many of you didn't. i got to be very careful. So I remember our kids. Some of them they wouldn't want to get in the they didn't want to get in the chair in the car. Or the or the table the, the chai chair, and they for what I don't know where it came from. I think it came from Charlotte's side. They would do the stiff leg and the thing, and then you'd have to figure, okay, there is this is that would grieve me. Would it grieve you? Because the Holy Spirit's like, that's us sometimes. He's like, what am I do with these people. What am I gonna do with them? The thing is, though, unlike a father who's a man, he's just. He doesn't know what to do, so maybe he spanks them or he does whatever. The Holy Spirit does not force himself. He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to make you sit in a seat. I'm going to make you work under the Spirit. I'm going to make you speak in tongues. I'm going to make you prophesy. I'm... He doesn't never do that. He said, okay? But then, then the danger of that, we're told very clearly in the book of Thessalonians, is you can ultimately quench the Spirit, which means the Holy Spirit says, okay. I know where I'm not wanted. I know where I'm not welcomed. I'm not leaving because I'll always be with you. And I'll walk alongside of you and I'll do it, but I'll do it from a distance. If that's what you want, I'll do it from a distance. But I'm telling you this morning, like, I don't want to live this life with the Holy Spirit at a distance. Do you? I, wa- I want the Holy Spirit, like, I want to I be full of the Spirit. Because if you're full of the Spirit, now you have greater revelation of who Christ is. Does that make sense? If it makes sense, say amen. Come on, put your hands together. Let's stand. That's what Ephesians calls us. In the book of Ephesians, it calls us to be full of the Spirit, which means we're continually opening ourselves up for the love of God to come and for the Spirit of God to come and for revelation of Jesus to come. And notice In the fifth verse of Galatians, if they can put that up, Galatians 3, 5. Paul ends it like this, this little discourse, these five verses. In the fifth verse, he's like, the God who supplies the Spirit to you, and he works miracles among you. Is he doing it by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith? I love this. In other words, he's like, guys, the power of Christ, the power of the Spirit has been among you. There have been miracles. there's There's been healings. There's been people saved. There have been people delivered in your midst. It all is happening through the Holy Spirit. Did it come through the work of the law? No. And he's saying to us very clearly, you have access to a continuous supply of the power of God. Why in the world would you revert back to something else? Why, why would you why would you go back? Why would you, why would you look for anything else? You have no need to look anywhere else. Father we thank you this morning for your word we're going to sing our song again to you Jesus because I believe what you're building in our hearts is a singular desire for you a hunger for Jesus to be glorified to be exalted in our midst all of the other things maybe that we've pursued sought after to fall by the wayside if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ you've never prayed a prayer of forgiveness ask Jesus to forgive you if you've never done that and you want to this morning then right now is the perfect time right now is perfect if you feel that flutter that draw in your heart that conviction you're just like oh, I don't know why this is That's the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, now's your day. Now's the time. Don't worry about everything else. Don't worry about the theology of it all. Don't worry about how you're going to make it. Don't worry. I'll take care of that, the Holy Spirit says. Today's the day of salvation. Come, come, come to Jesus. So all over the building, before we go any further, is there anyone in this place this morning that you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ for the first time? You've never done it? In the balcony, on the floor, raise your hand high. We're going to pray with you anyone in the building because that's the most important part of the day say today pastor i want to give my life to christ anyone away from jesus that says i'm ready to come back home today i'm coming back home raise your hand i'm ready to come back i've done it before but i'm coming home amen anyone else who else hands raise them raise them high let no one's looking hands all over come on church we're going to pray with them father in the name of jesus pass us by don't pass us by don't pass us by don't pass those who raise their hands by god come come holy spirit make yourself real make yourself known hear their prayer this morning hear their cry don't pass us jesus come on come on church let's pray we hope you enjoyed today's message if you did make sure you like and share on social media to help spread god's word If you'd like to learn more about The Bridge, or you'd like to give, you can go to our website at thebridge129.org. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.